Join me. Um, go ahead and open up to Matthew 12. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 12, 1 to 8. And um, it's no coincidence that this story and the story we'll look at next week come right after what we read last week at the end of Matthew 11, right? The end of Matthew 11, Jesus invites us to his easy yoke and promises rest. And then we find two stories about the Sabbath, which is a day of rest, and two stories which contrast Jesus's easy yoke with the Pharisees or man-made heavy yoke. And so that's, that's where we're going with this. But would you stand with me? We're going to read Matthew 12, 1 to 8. But pray with me first. Father, this is your word, and we are grateful that you've given it, grateful that you've preserved it, grateful, God, that you have this, this very passage for us this morning. God, please nourish us with it. Please equip us um, for, the, for the days ahead, for the weeks ahead, for what, what lies in our future. And God, would you, by your spirit, Lord, please be at work now, both through my preaching and through our hearing, that we would hear with faith what you have to say. So we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Matthew 12, 1 to 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law? How on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the Word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, have you ever read a, a great book and then very excitedly got the movie and begun to watch the movie only to be like sorely disappointed in what you watched in the movie, right? Because right, the, the movie really was a different story than what you read in the book, right? There were critical changes to the plot or to the characters. And, and really, you kind of leave that movie thinking they, they should have just called this something different, right? They should have just titled this something different, but they titled it the same thing. They changed the whole storyline, but they call it the same thing. Well, Krista and I watched um, Last of the Mohicans a few weeks ago. I had seen this years ago and enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it again this time much more than she did because she read the book like a month before we watched the movie. And so she was just like throughout the whole movie, it was like, but this is different, right? The plot is different, right? Who's in love with who is different. This character's different, right? How it ends is different. Like it's just like a different story than what she read in the book, right? The, the, the producers, the, the directors, they, they took that basic story, but they took it out of the original author's hands and they put it in their hands and then they just mixed it all up and came up with a new story. That's, that's what happened. Well, in the world of books and movies and stories, I mean, that, you know, we call that artistic freedom, right? That, that may be okay as long as you don't read the book first, then you'll be disappointed. But that might be all right there. But what happens when we do the same thing with God's law, right? What, what, what happens when we take God's law, we, we take it out of the original author's hand, we put it in our hands, we mix it all up, 
and we have a certain level of artistic freedom of our own with that, right? That, that's a totally different thing, right? Instead of having what God intended, we actually end up with something very different. We end up with our law rather than his law. When we do that, we actually misunderstand and misapply what he actually wants, right? Because as soon as we take something out of an author's hand, we're going to change it. It's it's inevitable. So if we take God's law out of His hands, we're going to change it. Wind up with something different. Wind up with wind up with a different yoke, a different burden. Wind up not understanding what God desires. And so that's what we'll see in this passage. But Jesus, as He interacts with the Pharisees, as He speaks through His Word, even this morning, right? He He wants to protect us from that kind of thing. Right? There's ways that whether in our own hearts we may be drawn to kind of take God's law out of His hands and have our own artistic freedom and how we understand it or other people around us may want to take God's law out of his hands and have their artistic freedom in it. But Jesus protects us from that danger. And so in verses one to two, if you look at the text, we'll see that Jesus protects us from the danger of the fencing or the buffering of God's law. What happens? Well, Jesus and his disciples are, they're out, they're walking through a grain field and they get hungry. And so his disciples grab some grain heads. They start to eat and they're just satisfying their hunger. Well, the only problem is, is that it's the Sabbath, right? As we've already been told this morning, it's a day of rest, right? And so the Pharisees, they see this and they are not happy about it. So verse two, they say, look, Jesus, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Right, your, your disciples are breaking God's law, Jesus. Don't you see this? Right, and so they're accusing the disciples, but really they're also accusing Jesus. Right, he's the teacher, he's the leader, he's their master, and so if they're at fault, he's at fault. And so if we take a step back from this and just kind of look at it, what we have is a group of men looking at the God-man saying, you don't understand your own law. I mean, that, that's... What's, they don't see that, but that's, in essence, what's going on. But their accusation, I mean, this is a serious thing, right, to, to say you're breaking God's law. And, like, they have a specific law in mind. It's the Sabbath. But they're actually saying you're, you're breaking what God has given us, right? God gave us the Sabbath. It's rooted in creation. It's rooted in redemption when God rescued his people from Egypt, right? He rescued them out of slavery and said, hey, I'm going to give you one day in seven as a day of rest, right? That, that helps us understand the blessing that the Sabbath is. But it's not a day of work. It's a day of rest. So they bring this accusation, and we've got to ask the question, are they right? right? Are, is there anything in the Sabbath law that's actually being broken here? Well, you can look at all the Sabbath laws in the Old Testament. You won't find anything that actually matches what the disciples are doing here. Right? They're, they're not actually breaking God's law. And we'll see that in verse 7 when Jesus says that the, when he describes his disciples as guiltless. Right? He says, like, they're not doing anything wrong here. So there's, there's no law of God that they're breaking, but there is a law of man that they're breaking. Right? They're breaking the Pharisees' law. So the Pharisees were known to do what's known as, as fencing the law. And so if law says don't do this right let's put up a fence so that we don't even get close to it and then i mean if you have one fence what's what's better than one is to have two or three right and you can add fences to that to keep people from even getting close to where that law is i mean you can see how this logic would would happen so that's what they would do and we can look even now at the jewish mishnah 
which would have its roots in the Pharisees then, and as they articulate work on the Sabbath and what's unlawful, they give 39 categories of work that are unlawful to do on the Sabbath. So if you want to know, you know, is this kind of allowable or disallowable? Is, is it one of these 39 categories? Then it's, it's work. It's not allowed. Well, two of those categories are reaping and threshing. So the Pharisees probably looking at the disciples saying, well, they're reaping and they're threshing, right? They're, they're grabbing and then they're going to rub that grain to eat it. Like they're breaking God's law. That's how they see it, but in reality, it's just man's law. It's just the fence that they're breaking, not the actual law. And so this practice of fencing God's law is actually very dangerous. There's, there's several reasons why we can say that. One, to, to fence God's law sounds very godly, but it actually is empty of godliness. Right? What the Pharisees are doing here, like it, it sounds very pious, very reverent. Right? Like we, we love God's law. We love what he's given us in the Sabbath, and you guys are breaking it. It sounds very godly, what they are saying. But those words are simply a veil, and underneath that veil is man's law, not God's law. Paul warns about this in 2 Timothy 3, 5, where he says, There are those who have the appearance of godliness, but they deny the true power of godliness. He warns about it again in Colossians 2, where he talks about man-made requirements which have an appearance of wisdom, but actually do nothing to combat sin in our, our, our fleshly desires, right? So there are things that can look godly, but actually are not godly. That's what we have here. But these fences, these man-made fences around God's law are also put up by people who are blind to that, right? The Pharisees have no idea that they're doing something ungodly here. They actually think that they are enforcing God's holy law, right? That's what everybody thinks around them, but they're, they're not. Right, they're actually enforcing their own law. Right? It's, there's an arrogance in this, and there's a deception in it. But finally, to fence God's law is dangerous because anytime you, you add to God's law, you're also going to take away from God's law. Right? So they're adding to God's law this, uh, these other stipulations of don't do this work, that work, that work. But in Jesus' response, we'll actually see that while they think that they're adding, which sounds kind of... I mean, you can see why that would sound safe. Like, if you can't do this, why not just back it up two or three steps? That sounds safer, but Jesus is actually going to point out that they're actually not fulfilling what's required in the law. So if we add to it, we're going to take away. That's just how it's going to work. So it's dangerous to replace God's law with a man-made fence, but it's also dangerous to misunderstand what God actually intends, to misunderstand what God actually desires in the law. And that's what we see in verses 3 to 7. So verses 3 to 8, all of it is Jesus' response. It's a rebuke to the Pharisees. Verses 3 to 7, he highlights three priorities, three divine desires that are in the law that the Pharisees are actually neglecting, that they are, are missing in this moment. So verses 3 to 4, Jesus says, have you not read what David did? Right. So he's going to say, have you not read again in verse 5? And he's going to say in verse 7, if you had known. Right? The Pharisees have read these things. They, they know the facts of the matter, but for all of their kind of higher education, they've missed the kindergarten lesson. Right? They've missed the very essence of the law, even though they know lots of things about it. So verses 3 to 4, they, they miss the priority of merciful provision. So Jesus points to the story of David from 1 Samuel 21. It wasn't that long ago that we were in 1 Samuel as a church, so you may even remember it from them. But David has been privately anointed as king at this point, but Saul still sits on the throne. 
And so David is on the run, right? He's, he's living a life on the run. So he and his men are on the run. They're hungry. They arrive at the house of God at Nob, and they meet a priest there named Ahimelech. And Ahimelech says, I don't have any bread but this one bread. And this, this one bread I have, it's special bread because it's holy bread set apart in God's law only for the priests to eat. But Ahimelech gives David and his men the bread. And Jesus cites that example here, even saying the same thing, right? The bread's for the priests, right? It wasn't lawful for David to eat it on the surface of the law, but there's a deeper priority in the law of God, which made this acceptable, even good for David and his men to have this provision, right? So David is the anointed of God. He didn't break God's law in this moment. And so Jesus, the anointed of God with his men and their need, right? The priority for merciful provision for them can relax a ceremonial stipulation. It doesn't mean that that other thing doesn't matter. There's a priority on merciful provision. Verses 5 to 6, we see another priority, the priority of worship. Jesus says, Haven't you read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So the Sabbath is a day of rest from work. But for priests, it's not a day of rest from work, right? Priests actually have to work on the Sabbath, right? It's, it's an integral part of their job. It's an integral part of the community for the priest to do the work that they are called to do. Right? There are specific Sabbath sacrifices that they were to make. But you can imagine some priest just kind of waking up one day on a Sabbath and be like, you know, it's a day of rest, I'm not going to go into work today. Like, it's just a day of rest. And so I'm going to do that instead of all these sacrifices because that's work and I'm not going to do that. Right? That's a ridiculous idea. Right? He, he would be all mixed up to do that. But that's the point Jesus is making. Right? And he even says in verse 5 that the priests profane the Sabbath. They, they desecrate the Sabbath. Now, he's not actually claiming that they're breaking the law, that they're desecrating the Sabbath, but he's making a point that, hey, Pharisees, if you think my guys are desecrating the Sabbath by breaking it, by just eating some grain to satisfy their hunger, then you've got to kind of use the same measuring stick on the priests. You've got to say that they're breaking the Sabbath every single Sabbath because they do work on the Sabbath. So you've got to say they're desecrating it if you're going to say that about my disciples. So Jesus is showing the absurdity of their claim. So this is the second lawful priority that Jesus gives, right? There's a priority of worship over rest on the Sabbath, right? Sabbath is a day of rest, but that rest doesn't trump the command and the calling to worship God, right? And so to make sacrifices was to worship, but it was also to bring about cleansing for the people, right? That's a higher priority than mere personal rest. And so in both of these examples, Right, Jesus highlights priorities within the law. Later on, Matthew 23, Jesus is going to talk to these Pharisees again, and he's going to say, he's going to rebuke them. He's going to say, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Right, so there's, there are weighty matters of the law. It doesn't mean we don't pay attention to the less weighty matters. There are priorities in the law. That doesn't mean we pay, don't pay attention to the lesser priorities, but it means that we should prioritize what God prioritizes, right? John Frame says the principles that God considers most weighty are the ones that should preoccupy us above all, right? So whatever God prioritizes, we've got to do the same thing if we're going to do what he desires. And so from what we've seen in verses 
3 to 6, right, worship is a greater priority than simply personal rest, right? Worship has to be a high priority on our agenda. Merciful provision also has to be a high priority because we see that here. And so while God has given the Sabbath for both rest and worship, we can't claim rest as an excuse to not worship, right? Our personal need of rest shouldn't trump our personal calling to to worship our God every Lord's Day. But Jesus goes further, right? As much as what he says in verse 5 would begin to ruffle the feathers of the Pharisees, verse 6 would just light them on fire. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple? Like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Right, the, the temple is the place of God's presence. Right, this is where God has specifically chosen to dwell with his people for blessing them. Right, to make himself known among his people and among the world. It's, it's his presence. And the temple is also the place of worship, the place of sacrifice, the place where cleansing for sin is accomplished. Like, how, Jesus, can you say that something greater than that is here? Edmund Clowney says, it is not so much that Christ fulfills what the temple means, rather Christ is the meaning for which the temple existed, right? Without Jesus, the temple actually doesn't have meaning, right? It's not like Jesus got here on the scene and was like, oh man, I'm going to make use of the temple. Like, that's a good example. And I'm going to use that to point to myself. Like, Jesus is the reality and the temple is just a shadowy form that's meant to anticipate that. But Jesus is greater. So right, in the argument, if, if worship of, of the, in the temple takes precedent, then worship of Jesus takes even more precedent. Right? If worship in the temple has a priority, worship of Jesus, who's greater than the temple, has even higher priority for God's people. And then verse 7, another priority that we get mixed up. Jesus says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So if the Pharisees would have understood what God actually desires, what God actually teaches in his word, they wouldn't have made this accusation. They wouldn't have accused the guiltless. They would have actually understood what was going on and extended mercy to Jesus' disciples. Well, we've already heard this quote. Back in Matthew 9, 13, Jesus quotes the same exact verse from Hosea 6 to the Pharisees. There, he says, go and learn what this means. Here, he says, if you had known what this means. So they didn't get it the first time. Now Jesus is bringing it to them again, saying, you've got to understand this. You've got to understand what God means in Hosea 6, 6. And so I'm going to read that whole verse. You, I would encourage you, read, go back and read Hosea 6 today, uh, later this afternoon. But Hosea 6, 6, God says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, or I desire mercy. I desire hesed, if you're familiar with the Hebrew, and not sacrifice. He goes on in the, in the parallel. He says, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So mere formality, right? Mere ritual, right? Empty sacrifices are not what God takes delight in. What God desires is our love and our loyalty. Right? If we can, I mean, they can make sacrifices all day long. And if their hearts are not loving towards God and loyal towards God, then those sacrifices actually offend him. Right? We can serve God all day long. But if we're not doing that out of a motivation of love for God and loyalty to him, then all that service is unworthy 
is not pleasing to him because he says, I desire your love and your loyalty, not a bare morality, not a bare ritualism. And so think about your service of God, right? Think about your obedience, your, your duty, the ways that you seek to honor and serve him. What drives it? Like what, what is the reason that you read the Bible? What is the reason that you give tithes and offerings? What is the reason that you observe the Sabbath? What is the reason that you come here week by week to worship God? It ought to be fueled by love and loyalty, right? It ought to be motivated by love and loyalty. It ought to be fueled by that, but it also ought to aim at the same thing, right? We ought to be aiming at cultivating more love and loyalty for God. But there's, there's a lot of things that tend to motivate us, tend to fuel our obedience or our service to God that actually make very pitiful fuel, very pitiful motivation. Guilt, shame, fear, right? satisfying man's expectations, man's law, right? All of these things can get us to do something that looks like obedience. But if it's not motivated by love and loyalty, it's not actually pleasing to the Lord. And by the same token, there's a lot of things that make for pitiful aims, right? There's a lot of kind of things we can try to accomplish with our Christian duty. Maybe it's merit. Maybe it's like a quid pro quo with God. Like, I'm going to do this so that he will do this for me, right? It might be so that I can feel like and look like I'm better than the people around me. So I'm going to keep doing all these Christian things because that makes me feel better than those around me. Right, these, there's a lot of things that are really pitiful aims, really pitiful motivations. Right, love and loyalty is at the core of what God calls us to. It's at the core of what we must offer him. But it's also at the core of what he has for us. Right? We, don't, we don't love him out of nowhere. We, we aren't called to be loyal to him out of nowhere. We're actually called to love and be loyal to him out of response. Right? Because from eternity, God has loved us with, with a perfect love. With a love that doesn't have gaps, that doesn't stop, that doesn't give up, that doesn't get tainted with selfishness. And God is loyal to us permanently. Right? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? Like God is going to do all that he's promised. He greatly loves us. He is perfectly loyal to us. And he asks for the same in return. Right? This is the core of our relationship with God, love and loyalty. So in this story, Jesus just totally flips the script on the Pharisees. Right? They come at the beginning of this and are the accusers, but at the end of this, really, they stand accused because they have not understood what God actually wants. They have not understood what God actually takes delight in. And then verse 8, Jesus states explicitly what has been implicit through the whole thing. He looks at the Pharisees and says, you guys are not in charge. I am. Right, look at verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Right, in, the, in this moment, in this conversation, where the Pharisees had, had co-opted God's law out of his hands. They had co-opted Sabbath law and said, really it's ours and we're going to make the laws about what, what is pleasing to God on this day. But Jesus says, no, you don't get to determine that. Right? In our lives, no man gets to determine what pleases God. No man gets to tell us or tell you what God desires. That is God's prerogative. That is Jesus' prerogative because he is the Lord. 
And he, in this specific scenario, is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is his Sabbath, so he gets to set the agenda for that day. And so we need to see that in our lives as well. Right at the end of verse, uh, at the end of chapter eleven, Jesus talked about his yoke. We see that on display here, as we live our lives. Right? We can either live under Jesus's yoke, or we can give ourselves to other yokes. Right? We can give ourselves to the yoke of other people. Right? And their interpretation of God's law, their artistic freedom of God's law. We can take that yoke and we can try to live under our own yoke and think, well, I'm just going to pick and choose what I like out of God's law. Right? I, I like that this pleases him. That sounds good. Let's keep that. But I, I don't like that this pleases him. I'm going to get rid of that. But Jesus is actually the one who owns our yoke, not us, not someone else. So we must live under his yoke with his priorities, with his desires. So I want you to think specifically about the Sabbath, and then we'll apply it generally too. But right, this, this passage, I mean, it's got the Sabbath all over it. And so we've got to think about the Sabbath as we think about this. So does your view and your practice of the Sabbath line up with that of the Lord of the Sabbath? Right? Does your view of the Sabbath equal Jesus's view of the Sabbath, or is it different in some way? The caveat is like these eight verses aren't everything about the Sabbath, but they are something here. And so we got to think about this. So what do we see? Well, one, we see that the Sabbath is God's Sabbath, right? It's, it's his. It belongs to him. He gets to set the agenda Nobody else. So, so we must see the Sabbath as belonging to him. But two, we need to see the Sabbath as a gift from God to us, to his people. It is not a heavy burden laid upon us. It's a light yoke from Jesus. It's a gift from him. In Mark 2.27, which is Mark's account of this same story, he adds that Jesus also says this. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right, so the, the Sabbath is a gift for people, not a heavy yoke of a burden laid upon us by God. If you go look at Exodus 23, 12, as God explains it there, he says, the Sabbath is for the refreshment of his people. Ligon Duncan, in his sermon on the fourth commandment, he titles it, the command slash blessing that we love to hate. We, we easily can see God's command of the Sabbath as a burden that we just love to hate. We don't get it. We don't see it as a gift, but it is a gift. It's a gift of rest and refreshment for us, God's people. What else do we see? We see that though the Sabbath is about rest, it's also about worship, right? And worship has priority over rest if we seek to woodenly apply the rest on this day. Right? If we just think, well, God commands us to rest and like, I'm just going to sleep in and forget about church and I'm just going to prioritize my own, my own day, my own refreshment rather than God's worship, we have totally missed the priority. We've mixed it up. We prioritize what God hasn't. So it's a day of rest, but it's a day of worship to enjoy and love God as we gather, to enjoy and love him as we go home. But finally, we can look at verse 7. The Sabbath isn't a day of nitty-gritty stipulations. The Sabbath is a day chiefly about love and loyalty, just like everything else. Right? It is a day where we get to hear God again proclaim his love and loyalty to us, where we get to again taste of the bread and the wine and see that God has loved us and God is loyal to us and he will not stop being loyal to us. Right? As we gather and as we sing, right, we sing out of love and loyalty 
to God. Right? As we fellowship with each other, as we serve each other, we do it out of love and loyalty to God. Right? As you seek non-believers in your life, as you do evangelism, or as you have non-believers over to your house to spend time with them on the Sabbath, do it out of love and loyalty for God. And as you rest, right, as, as you are refreshed in mind and body and in soul on the Sabbath week by week, do it out of love and loyalty for God and, and knowing that he loves us and is loyal to us. So that's the Sabbath. But let's think more broadly as well. Right, as we think about this idea of love and loyalty, of God's desire for love and loyalty, right, that should color everything we do. Right, so as you think about all of your obedience, right, all that God calls you to do, all of your Christian duty, love and loyalty should be at the center of everything. And where it's not, we, we repent. We ask for God's help. We ask God to help us to be more loving, to be more motivated by what he desires. But you can think about your Christian habits as well. Right? There, are, there are things that we do in our lives, right? Christian habits or personal commitments to pursue the Lord. Things like, like read the Bible and pray every morning. Or, uh, you know, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Or I'm going to meet with this group every week in a Bible study or in a small group or every two weeks for encouragement and growth. All of those things are good, right? All of those things are right. Those aren't necessarily man-made fences, but they we can turn them into that, but right, these are our Christian habits that help us cultivate love and loyalty. Right? So those things should be means to love and loyalty, not masters over us, not man-made fences that we replace God's law with. And so don't make your personal commitments equal to God's law in your own life. Right? Let, let them be a means to help you pursue him, not a master over you. But also don't let them be man-made fences that you enforce on other people. Right? And you look at others and you're like, well, they're not doing this thing that I'm doing, right? Aren't they sinning because they're not, right? And you fill in the blank with something that's not actually in God's law, but it's, it's your way of pursuing him. Right? Those things have a, a right place when they're a means, not a master. And so Jesus, right, he, he rescues us from all that man's law, whether it's other people or our own hearts, all that we seek to put upon ourselves with heavy burdens, right? He, he straightens out what we get mixed up. And so this week, as you think on this text, right, right, walk in the easy yoke of Jesus, right? Let him be your master. As you think about Sabbath, as you think about what God desires, as you think about all that God requires of you, let Jesus be your easy yoke master in that, not yourself and not some other man in their law. Let me pray. Father, God, we thank you again for this, your word. We pray that you would help us uh, today and this week to walk in the yoke of Jesus. God, would you cultivate uh, love in our hearts for you? Would you cultivate loyalty to you? We, we desperately need your help to do that uh, because we see ways that, that we don't love you well, the, the ways that we're not loyal to you. So God, would you grow that within us and help us to see your love more and more for us? We'll pray all this through Christ, our Savior. Amen.